Hi, good morning everyone. This is Seeking Sustainability Live. I'm JJ Walsh and today we're talking with Helen from Kamakura by the Sea, talking about running a B&B, a lot of wonderful temple walks around Kamakura and living along the coast in Japan. So please stay tuned. We'll be right back. Good morning, everyone. Thanks for joining. Uh, this is Seeking Sustainability Live number 188. And today we're talking about one of my favorite places in Japan, not too far from Tokyo, about an hour away in Kamakura with Helen. Thank you so much for joining, Helen. Thank you so much for having me. So, how long have you lived in the Kamakura area? Gosh, it's been about six and a half years, I guess, maybe almost seven years we've been here. Wow. And have you been running the Kamakura by the Sea Villa the whole time? Pretty much. Yeah, I think we when we moved, we took about six months to kind of, you know, get our bearings and fix a few things up. But after that, yeah, it's been five and a half, six years, I guess. Wow. It's a gorgeous area you're living in. I'll show your your photos on Twitter. Um, of your sea views and Mount Fuji beyond are always very popular. Um, that location is just fabulous. People must love coming to stay there. Yeah, it, we get pretty good reviews on our location um, when people are like, looking for proximity to the beach and the Daibutsu and whatnot. Uh, you have to do a little bit of a walk to see Mount Fuji, but you know, it's not too, too far. But yeah, it's a great spot. Yeah, and also you're raising um, two kids and your husband is an avid surfer. Is that right? Yes, that's correct. Not a good surfer, just an avid surfer. <laughs> <laughs> that's a, it's all about loving the waves, right? It, right, right. Yeah. Um, so tell us how you decided on that house or starting running the Airbnb. Is it Airbnb or B&B? It, it, we're kind of like an inn. We, we had a few different changes over the years, but I think in is probably the best way to describe us, but sure. Uh, let's see, initially we had no intention of running an inn. The idea was to have a cafe. So my husband used to have a cafe at Kichijoji Station, uh, the JR building there like years and years ago. So he thought that's something that he would like to do. Um, the market though in Kamakura moves pretty quickly when it comes to buildings that are in good spots to run a business. So we had a few big disappointments where we'd call and be like, we want the place. And say, oh, we sold it yesterday. And we were kind of starting to feel down about things. This house that we're in now, that listing was not moving at all. So my husband eventually said, said well, why don't we just run an inn? And that's what happened. So there wasn't really much planning in advance. Um, if I did it again, we would plan a little bit more, but um, the location was the best location that we found so far. Um, fabulous neighborhood, close to the station, close to the sea, so really couldn't complain. And then it was just kind of baptism by fire as we tried to figure out how to run an inn and how to get licensed. So we've got a Kanishikusho license, um, so it's like a business hotel license. It's just kind of getting that. And, the process and it takes time and we were close to a hoikwen so it makes it even more difficult uh, you have to get permission from the hoikwen as well so it was quite a process but eventually we got it all set up and we got started and at first yeah we did bed bed and breakfast um, 
And then we realized some people don't want breakfast. So we switched to, okay, let's think of ourselves in an inn. You've got both options. But then people were arriving thinking they were getting breakfast and surprised to discover that they hadn't ordered breakfast. So we switched back. And then after this um, pandemic started, we, we stopped serving breakfast because our dining room, we can't ventilate it very well. So we just cut that right out. So I'm not sure if we'll go back or not. But yeah. How has it been during coronavirus? Have you been able to continue as uh, accommodation at all? Uh, we, for the um, state of emergency in the spring and now during the state of emergency, we have closed up. Um, in between, we, we did open for the summer holidays. And during Obon, we had like a lot of guests who were living in Japan. There have been much. We have shared washrooms. So, and we also did not do go-to travel. So, you know, when you're you're looking at the listings, and you're like, oh, this place is doing go-to travel. We can stay there really cheap. This place is the same price because they're not doing go-to travel. And we have shared bathrooms. So we're not exactly high on the, the list at the moment, but. You know, with two kids, my husband has high blood pressure and, you know, you do what you, you have to do, so. Yeah, it's running B&B has been something for many years. I love visiting B&Bs in beautiful locations. It's always something that I keep in the back of my mind as like, oh, maybe I'll go buy a, a house in a beautiful location, run a B&B. It's kind of, I have a romantic view and so I, I want to know how hard it is. Like, how much do you have to balance running the business with raising your kids, having your own free time? That is difficult. Um, once we started and we started actually looking into it, um, I found, I came across like an, an association in the United States for innkeepers. And they said the average amount of time that somebody runs a, a B&B is seven years. One of the reasons is because generally it's people who have retired and they think, oh, this would be lots of fun. But the other reason is because it is exhausting. It's not, you know, every job's exhausting, but when you have people in your house, especially when you're living on site, it, there's another level of anxiety going on. There's another level, there's, there's somebody in the house, you can't fully relax. You might only be open, you know, check-in might be from 3.30 until and then, um, sorry, check out at 10 o'clock the next morning. But people come early, people stay late, people stay multiple days, and then you're, you're always on. You never know when a question is coming. So you just want to like kind of lie down on the couch, but just as soon as you lie down, someone opens the door and they find you like lolled out on the, you know. So you always have to be aware of that. It can be a lot of fun. It's wonderful. You meet people from all over the world and connections, you, you, points of view that you would never come across otherwise but it is exhausting. So if you would do it, my advice to you would be, and I read this after we already moved in, make sure that you have your own quarters that are very separate from the rest of the inn and maintain it. Don't, you know, be loosey-goosey and let people come in and out as much as you want. You've got to maintain that. Otherwise, you're constantly available and it's just, it's exhausting. So, you know, there's, there's you know, pluses and minuses, but that would be the big minus. It's just, you're always on. Yeah. I would imagine that would be really hard, especially raising kids and uh, just having that separation between work time and private time, workspace and private space. Um, you, you must always think about that when you're thinking about the price point and thinking, 
I don't want to make it that cheap because this is like taking up a part of my life, right? Yeah, it's interesting that you brought that up. When we started, we were very aware of, you know, we're a family and we travel and it's expensive. So we really wanted to make ourselves as family friendly as possible. We're like, let's start with prices low. And after about a year or two, we realized it's not something that we could continue because yeah, just the time and just everything, you know, you, the exhaustion level and the constant nature of the work. No matter how good your guests are, no matter how much you want to make yourself available, you can't do it at a really low price. You really have to take that into consideration. So we did raise our prices, which meant, unfortunately, we got fewer families, um, which was too bad for the kids because our older kid, she made so many friends the first year or two that we did this. But it, it just, it, it's too hard. Like, it really is hard on you and you're constantly thinking, ah. Oh, Ah, I gotta do this right now and it's supper time and my kid wants me but I have to you know leave her there and our neighbor actually he's the fellow we bought this in from he um, he used to do an inn at his house and here and his parents did it and his grandparents did it and he said one time I interviewed him for an article I wrote for the Canadian um, the magazine for the Canadian uh, Chamber of Commerce and I asked him about that and he said he hated being a kid whose parents ran an inn because they weren't his parents. Every time he sat down to dinner, his parents would disappear. And as soon as I heard that, just my heart sank. And I'm like, that's what I'm doing to my kids. And I know my nine-year-old, she's able to say now, I don't like it. Why aren't you paying attention to me? You know, I need your help. And it's like, well, my the guests need our help. She's like, well, why am I not the most important, you know, and it, it's hard to tell your kids that, you know, usually when you're at home, they, their importance level goes up, but our home is our work. So they're always kind of like drop down a few notches. So your heart breaks as you're doing it. It doesn't matter how much fun you're having. I could imagine that would always be kind of a struggle. Um, mm -hmm. it, it looks like you have some of the rooms, um, people do their own bedding, kind of Japanese style. Yeah. And then the other one, you would have to change the bedding every day. Um, mm -hmm. Of course, even changing. But has that helped you with workload a little bit? Like a, a typical ryokan in Japan, uh, when you go to dinner, you would come back to your room and everything would magically, all your beds would be arranged. I would imagine that is pretty hard to do when you're running your B&B. So having it inside the closet ready for the customer, that seems like a nice hack, if you will. It, it is much easier and it's also, um, I wonder like how it even be possible to do it the other way because we don't serve dinner. So you know when you're at a deal and you go to the dinner, they know what time you're eating, they can kind of schedule it. But for us, you never know when the guests are leaving to go eat. Some of them just go to the convenience store and bring the food back. So you'd be kind of like waiting outside the door being like, hi, you guys gonna go soon? And then, oh gosh, you're back, I'm still making your bed. So yeah, but otherwise, yeah, it, it just saves so much time. So there's at least that. Um, some guests don't get it. Guests who aren't used to Japan are kind of like, I don't know how to make a futon. And I'm happy to help, you know, when they're they're confused about it or when they just can't quite get it or they're really tired. But for the most part, they do it themselves and it's so much easier. That's good. That's good. For, for me, I love it when it's that style because I, as I get older, I'm much more of like a princess in a pea type of sleeper. Mm -hmm. And I, I usually need like three futons before I feel happy. 
So if it's there for me to use, I'm really happy. <laughs> we get that. I tell them, you know, there's these are the croutons that we have set out. There's more in the cupboard. So feel free to take as many as you want. And we'll go in the next day. There'll be like five stacked up. Oh, that's awesome. And you just have to change the one sheet. It doesn't have to be all the futons that you wash, right? Uh, yeah, the the sheets actually, we, we send them out. So we don't even have to take care of that. A different company does that and they just like deliver them. So that's super easy. And then yeah, everything else just kind of gets aired out because it's so nice to be able to just pull that top um, futon cover off and just... That was, that's one of the things I wonder, like how much work you would have to do extra on top of already having your family washing to do all the, the sheet mm. washing every day. Um, yeah. Do you ever, do you find that most people stay for more than a night? Um, not to Kamakura. And we actually, we've um, capped our stays at two nights because otherwise we find it's just too hard. Um, especially on the kids to constantly have, you know, we try to open up a, a day or something. But when most people come to Kamakura, they're thinking one night, maybe two. We've had a few times where people have asked, you know, we'd like to stay for five nights. And we've been like, okay, just so you know, it's, you might run out of stuff to do. Um, but yeah, most people, they're coming on their way to Hakone. So they're just, you know, from Tokyo, one night in Kamakura, and then right off to, to Hakone or Kyoto or whatever. So generally speaking they're not that's interesting really interesting like in in terms of sustainability consulting i'm always telling hotels try to incentivize staying longer because ah. in theory it should be less work and it should be less use of resources mm -hmm. um if, for example if people don't need new sheets new towels every day and they're staying three nights mm -hmm. it should take off the amount of work for you but that's it's interesting to hear um, it does when we have people stay for two nights it's kind of nice the next day we go oh we don't have to change the sheets we just have to do like light cleaning so it does get rid of that job and there are a few other things you don't have to worry about too much but um, just I think it's just because it's such small quarters if we did have a larger space it would be different but we notice after a few days even our guests because they're sharing the what like we assign each room to their own washroom but they're not in the same room so they are going down the hall and it's right next to the other group's washroom and they've got to go downstairs to, the, to use the bathroom by about three or four days they're kind of you can kind of tell they're getting a bit antsy as well so as much time as they spend outside once they come back it's like oh, okay it's kind of small in here <laughs> so for them as well as for us it's just you run out of things to talk about too yeah, so yeah Wow, so you really are like engaging with the guests quite a lot. It's not like they're just staying and you don't really see them once they're in. It's really like part of your your household. Yeah. That is a bit yes. tiring. Uh, we have a, a good comment from Yukio Matsuzaki. Thank you for joining from YouTube. Hello, we hear you about the hard work. We used to run a lodge in Vermont. My husband grew up there. He says it was hard at Christmas, but he loved having friends around all the time. Yes, definitely our older daughter, she's the one who got to experience that. And every day, you know, in the summer in particular, there would be a new friend to play with. And we had some families come back for a second year and it was super exciting to see the kids have grown a year and now they're, they're playing different games together. And even kids who don't speak Japanese or English, we've had families from, you know, China or Hong Kong, and they don't need a language in common. They just have this fabulous time playing together. And it it's, was fabulous to, I loved watching that. 
So it was a really special experience. Now that she's older, she doesn't enjoy it as much. But um, but yeah, sometimes in the summer when we'd have a lot of kids, it, it, the house would just be absolute chaos. You know, the kid, there'd be origami paper all over the place and sand all over the place. And everyone's having a good time, so. That's so interesting. Is there a different license if you're living in the house and renting it out than if it's a standalone hotel? I'm sure there's different rules, right? There are some rules about it, um, mostly about the kitchen. You have to be really careful about the kitchen because we do serve food. Um, so we're not really supposed to be using the kitchen for our own use. So we kind of have like a hot plate and like a kettle and microwave and that sort of thing. Um, for a while there we were eating a lot of bento. But um, when we were really busy, I was just like, oh kids, bento again. So now my kids don't like bento um, from the shop. But um, otherwise, I don't really think there is anything um, if you're on site. The Mimpaka license might be different. I'm not sure about that, but with ours, it's just the kitchen that we really have to be careful about. Right. Uh, Wendy is joining from Facebook. Thanks, Wendy. She says, great to hear about your experience, especially as we are looking to run our own Airbnb type pension. Wonderful. Mm -hmm. Great. Good luck. It's fun. <laughs> oh, yeah. Don't don't worry about the bad things. <laughs> it really is a lot of fun. Oh, good. So you did mention um, the owner was living next door. I wonder if he was he running it just as a standalone kind of accommodation, and then his lodgings was next door. Yeah, that's right. So we get a lot of guests who get confused when they arrive. They go to his house instead of our house, and his guests come to our house instead of his house because they look very similar. He's he lived over there. He built that house as a house and uh, like a, a hotel, basically. So he still has two rooms, but it's quite separate from where he and his mother live. So he built this side as um, an inn, a bed and breakfast for women. So the whole thing was meant to be used just as a bed and breakfast. And so from his kitchen to our kitchen, they're very close. And he used to have like a little deck connecting them. So he could run between houses really easily. But I'm pretty sure he built it like that because he knew eventually he'd want to retire. And he'd want to keep his house, but he'd want to get rid of most of the rooms. So that's kind of what he did. We severed the property. But um, yeah, he's still there and he still does, does the two rooms. Is that something you think about, um, moving your family out nearby to your own place and just running that as a hotel? We have thought about that a little bit. Part of it, I mean, cost-wise, it would be difficult. Um, we're only renting out two rooms right now, so we don't actually make very much money doing this. <laughs> we have other income streams. But Kamakura is just very expensive to live in, so anything nearby that would, you know, it would be hard to do both and even though we would hopefully be making more money by having more rooms available i think it would it would make it almost like breaking even maybe um and the kids they like this house i think they'd be pretty upset <laughs> we said hey guess what we're, we're moving down the street to that little apartment <laughs> yeah well if you've got other streams of income and it's just part of your income streams um it it seems to make sense but in terms of keeping your private work life free time kind of separate it, it seems like um yeah something you might want to think about that's that's hard as your girls get older too exactly that's the other big thing as we get older what are they going to do because they're going to want more privacy i was 
this close to renting an apartment, I guess, in 2019, in, in I guess the fall, I was really thinking about it. Um, my writing work had kind of picked up and I was like, I can afford monthly rent for the most part. And the Olympics were coming up and we're going to be really busy and it, it'll just be nice to, to get out of the house. Now I'm so glad we didn't because the pandemic and it would have been like, oh no, I've got to pay for an apartment now. So in, in the end, but it was something that I was really, really considering because it was just, our, our older daughter was having a lot of trouble with it for, for a few months there. Yeah. So in, in the future, I might, you know, I might just have to pick up more writing work and, and do it so that she can have like a little out. Yeah. Well, you're you're a great writer uh, on your blog and and other articles in other areas. Uh, one article I thought, which is connected to choosing that house, you wrote a blog about choosing your natural disaster. <laughs> yes. Can you tell us tell us your ideas a little bit? Sure. So. Um... Basically, no matter where you live in Japan, something is going to kill you. And I kind of feel like there are a lot of places in the world where that's true. Where I grew up, we've got tornadoes. They're not big tornadoes, but still, no matter where you are, something's going to kill you. But especially in Japan, it seems to take it to another level. So my husband is terrified of landslides. When he was a kid, I guess he saw it on the news enough and he remembers you know, a big flood on the Tama River and like houses floating down the river. So for him, living anywhere near a hill is like not going to happen. He loves the ocean. It doesn't scare him. I'm afraid of the ocean. I'm afraid of tsunami. But somehow his, his fear of landslide won out over my fear of tsunami. But um, so yeah, those are uh, <laughs> the two big ones, I guess. And when it comes down to it, I guess, which is more likely to happen and which gives you more um, warning and my husband says if it's a tsunami you're gonna get the warning you're gonna have about five minutes to like run up a hill if it's a landslide you have no idea it's just raining hard and suddenly you're under mud so I kind of thought well that's a good point okay <laughs> thought of it that way before I was just like no the sea's gonna kill me and he's like well you know maybe not and I was like okay well maybe maybe is better than definitely so for sure but sorry <laughs> Yeah, it runs from Kamakura to Fujisawa, so it's about 30 minutes start to finish. And yeah, it's a super cute train. It comes in a few different colors, although the standard is green. Um, and every once in a while you get one of the train cars that still has wood flooring. So that's a lot of fun when you, when you walk on you're like, oh great, we're on a classic train car. Um, but yeah, it's fabulous scenery for almost the entire go. Um, and 
it's just a few minutes between stations. It makes going around the city fairly easy. So yeah, it's super cute, really popular with photographers. They've got a little They do, they have a little mascot. I've only seen him a few times, but he's like this cute little train and he's like, he looks like a couch or something. He's just like this big blob, basically. But kids love him, of course. <laughs> at festivals and train events and all sorts of stuff. Sorry, there's a little bit of noise in the background. My husband just came in. <laughs> Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes, the Goshuin show. Those are a lot of fun. I started that a little bit before the boom. Suddenly it got really. And I had like randomly started doing it. I think the first one I got was at Sugimoto Dera in, um, in Kamakura. So, um, it's the oldest temple in town, and it's the start of the Kamakura 33 Kanan pilgrimage. And it's also on a few other pilgrimages. I think it's I think it's on the big Kanto area Kanan pilgrimage as well. Fabulous little place. So yeah, I, I started to do it from there, and I've done the Seven Gods of Luck pilgrimage and collected all the seals and um, just random. And they're just beautiful. So um, near us, we've got Goryo Jinja which is also on the Seven Gods of Luck. And there's Hase Temple, also Seven Gods of Luck. And then there's Jojuin, I mean, temples and shrines all over the place, as you said. So there's lots of places to get shrines, uh, seals. So if you come to Kamakura, bring your, your, your book, definitely. Buy the books at the temples or where can you buy the books? Yeah, you can definitely go with the temple. Um, apparently some stationery stores sell them, but I've read that not all temples accept books that are not obviously from a temple um so yeah you can buy them at most temples and shrines that like have a shrine office or a temple office that's open regularly so some of them like Amanoa Jinja for example it's not manned so you won't be able to get anything there but um if you go to Hase temple for example they've got a whole bunch of different books some of them are very like Hase temple like they'll have hydrangeas on them Hase temple is known for its hydrangeas in the spring or um if you got I think at the dye booths at Kotokuin, you can get one with like the dye booths on it maybe. But a lot of them will have their own book that's branded, if you will, and then they have just general books. It doesn't matter if you take your book from Hase Temple and take it to a different temple or shrine. They, they don't care. But as long as it's like a special one. And some of them open like an accordion, and then some of them open like a book. So there's a few different styles to look at in different sizes as well. So, in different price ranges, some of them are very expensive. Yeah, they're absolutely beautiful and it's another great way to support the temple or local shops um, mm -hmm. because of course they're all handmade gorgeous books yeah right? so usually 300 is the standard but some places are 500 I think there are a few 500 yen places in town and then in other towns I've heard that you know a thousand yen or, or more that are they're just like works of art with like drawings in the background so it's you never know what you're gonna get basically yeah. And then when you, you gave some advice that when you go and give your book to get it signed, um, you can ask if you can take photos or video and then document 
them beautifully, so beautifully writing as well. Yeah, I'd say definitely do your best to kind of like read the room before you ask, because I've gone to a few where I was like, I don't think they're going to say yes here. And I just did not ask. And others where they're a little bit friendlier, they're also not as busy. And I've been like, I won't get your face. It's just your hands. Because a lot of them, when I first said, can I take a video? She was like, <gasps> and I was like, just your hands, just your hands. She's like, oh, okay then. So you kind of, you, know, you have to be careful about it. And you might be told no. So just prepare yourself for that. But um, I think they'd probably be much happier about it if you just got their hands. Yeah, and, and sometimes they get into the back though, so you won't even have a chance. Yeah, it's um, it's the polite thing to do if you yep. if you have a chance. Yep. Always always ask. Yes. And for if sure. they say no, just say okay and don't do it. <laughs> um, you have some great. Uh, is it Hokokuji Temple with all the bamboo? Can you tell us about that temple? Sure. Um. It is out by Sugimoto Dera and Jomyoji. So if you're going to go to Hokokuji Temple, do all three. They're fabulous. Um, Hokokuji, it is, um, you can enter the first part of the temple without paying a fee. And the, the first part of the temple, there's no bamboo. But it's beautiful, especially in the fall. It's stunning. So even if you, you're like, I don't really want to pay, at least go and see the first half of the temple area. Um, it is very popular at the moment. Right now, of course, it's pandemic, so not so much. But before that, I went one day and there was a 20-minute line up just to get into the temple. So if after the pandemic ends, you're there on a summer day, don't be surprised if you've got to wait. Um, you have to pay to see the bamboo. So it's a few hundred yen to see the bamboo. And it's this incredible forest of bamboo, this grove, I suppose, of bamboo. And you walk through and partway through, there's like a little tea house. It's not a traditional tea house you're not sitting on tatami uh, i guess they built it for uh the number of people who come so it's like bench seating you can kind of like sit there and there's a great big open window like no glass and you're looking out onto the bamboo and um the stone kind of like a part of the mountainside and there's yagura dug into the mountainside so yagura are like a kamakura thing that the rock here is quite soft so they used to dig into it and sometimes they're used as graves and sometimes they're used for other things i'm not 100 sure on but wherever you go in kamakura you're going to see like these things dug out of the stone so at hokokuji you enjoy your your matcha and your little treat while you know observing or like enjoying this view of bamboo and yagura and they also have a rake garden i don't think you can see it from the, the tea place but as you get to the end of the bamboo path there's like this beautiful rake garden that you can look at too so it's very popular with Europeans. Yeah, I've been to Kamakura many times. I don't think I've been there. I'll have to seek it out. He said, my husband's just held something up and he's saying, Eishoji, say Eishoji. Eishoji. So, a lot of people, they want to see bamboo, but they don't want to go to Hokokoji because it's so crowded. And because it is far from the station. You've either got to hop on a bus or you've got to walk about 25 minutes. So people who don't want to do that, should go to Eishoji, which is a nunnery, which is very unique uh, in the area. There aren't any left, it's just that one. It's very close to the, the to Kamakura station, uh, but it's not very, um, it's not very well known, I guess. And it's kind of hard to enter because it's walled. So you're kind of like, are you allowed to go in? But definitely go in. And it has a smaller bamboo grove and it's beautiful. And it's otherwise, it's a fabulous temple. They're very nice. So if you want to see bamboo, 
but you don't want the lions go to Ashoji. So okay, <laughs> well, that's my husband. Yeah, that's a good hint. And I found the picture of the caves um, from your video. You can see the caves. This is what you can see from the the tea yeah. house in Hokoku, and <laughs> the ladies in the tea house. Uh, giving you the matcha tea looks looks really nice, beautiful place. Sorry. <laughs> that's, I promise silence. <laughs> that's okay. That's okay. Um, another place that looked really interesting uh, was with all the foxes in uh, Saku Sasuke Inari. Inari, Sasuke Inari, yeah. That's my absolute favorite in town. I, again, it's a it's an Inari shrine, so it's got all of the the red gates. So a lot of people who come to stay with us, they're also going to Kyoto, and they're like, "Oh, I gotta go see Fushimi Inari. It's gonna be amazing." But it's also so crowded. So I tell them, "Go to Sasuke Inari. It's not crowded, and it's smaller, but it's not crowded, and you can just kind of relax as you go up. And it's got this really earthy feel, like it's built into the the mountain. It's just a hill, but." Um, and huge trees and all these teeny tiny little foxes everywhere. So Inari is, um, what is it? His messenger is the fox or something. I'm always getting it wrong. But uh, yeah, Inari is associated with the fox. So anytime you're at an Inari shrine, you're going to see the little foxes everywhere. So like trinkets, statues, and moss and old stone. It's a fabulous one to visit. And then um, I'm looking at your Instagram and I got distracted by your young ginger and miso. Oh, <laughs> it's so good. It tastes so good. I have never tried that. That looks amazing. It is. And we just, we know some farmers in town and my husband, I don't even remember. Oh yeah, that's right. They go digging for bamboo shoots together in the spring. And then that's, I guess, how they, they got to know each other. And then, yeah, if he has extra ginger, he'll give us like all these ginger roots and just like, like this. And then at one of the local festivals, they also sell them for a few hundred yen and you just come home with a massive stack and you just sit there with the miso. So good, so spicy, but so, so good. So it's just straight miso, like out of the, the mm -hmm. miso maker's box yep. or whatever. And then- yep. The young ginger is it looks really beautiful. I, I haven't seen that sold. I'll have to look for it. Mm -hmm. Definitely keep an eye out. You, you might have to do farmer's markets, but ginger, ginger and miso is a nice, nice find. Mm -hmm. um, another thing you introduced, which I thought was really interesting and maybe possible even now during coronavirus, mm -hmm. um, there's an outdoor tea house you introduced, like a Western style tea house. Oh, yes, yes, at Georgiaine. No, not Jojoin, sorry, Jomyoji. I'm getting my J temples mixed up. At uh, Jomyoji, yes. It's so bizarre. Um, so Jomyoji is out by Hokokoji and Sugimoto Dera. Um, and it's really unassuming. You go in, there's just this like little gate you go through and kind of like one big temple building. And kind of like, is that is that it? And then you kind of follow the path. And first you come to a Japanese style tea house. Which is yummy also sit at like a little table but it's got this beautiful garden that you can look at and then you continue along the path further and you go up some stairs and suddenly there's this like big western house and you're kind of like why is there a western house here it's one of those ones built in like I guess the the earlier 1900s and it is an English tea place you don't expect to see that at all but it's wonderful they have indoor seating they also have the outdoor seating on the deck beautiful gardens they're known for the rose garden in particular 
but I guess it's seasonal so um, and yeah you can get like scones there and tea and you can have like light lunches and I think they might even have more substantial meals as well a really really big surprise when we first came upon that but it's it's an interesting addition to I guess Kamakura another thing I've never even heard of so that's nice to see the outdoor seating areas as well mm -hmm. it's fabulous on the patio should be good for when you have kids, but also good when you're socially distancing, right? For sure, sure. Has everything pretty much stayed open in Kamakura or has a lot closed during the state of emergency? A few shops have closed. Um, you, There are a few shops you walk by and they'll have a sign saying we're closed until the end of the state of emergency. There have also been a number of places that have just gone out of business, which has been really sad to see. Um, but for the most part, people are open and they have no choice. You know, it's their, their main source of income, so that's just kind of what they do. But um, yeah, some, I mean, events have been closed uh, or have been canceled. So the usual stuff in, in certain areas you can't go into, you used to be able to go into, but now you can't sort of thing. So there's a few changes, but for the most part, it, it's like an outdoor city. You know, you're, you're outdoor all the almost all the time, so it, it's not been too too bad. That's good. Um, that's one of the things that I, I really love about Kamakura is so much great walking to do mm. everywhere, right? Mm -hmm. um, you, you recommended a book about Kamakura, Kamakura Fact and Legend. Yeah, yeah. can you tell us about that? Sure, so um, Kamakura Fact and Legend, it's out of print, but you can still get old copies, and they also have it on Kindle. Um, it's an incredible book. It's written by a woman named Mutsu Iso. Uh, her real name or her, her birth name is Gertrude Ethel Passingham. I've got my notes beside me. Um, she's a British woman who married a Japanese diplomat and nobleman and they moved to Japan in 1910 and so she lived here until she died in 1930. And she got to know a lot of the priests and like the monks at the temples and shrines around town and she wrote this incredible book on the city. If you're looking for something up to date on Kamakura, this is not for you. <laughs> but if you really want to get to know Kamakura and get like a feel for its history and hear like those little legends. And um, it's, I mean, it's a must read if you love Kamakura. She is an incredible writer. Just the prose is incredible. This is a, a newer edition, so it's also got photos inside it. Um, but I mean, the, the connection she had with the priests and monks she gets stories that you know i couldn't walk up to a priest and be like so tell me you know did this temple ever fall into disrepair but she knows those stories she knows about the treasures being burned she knows about you know and she the way she puts it into the story it's very interesting even though it's like it's a long read but incredible incredible book if you love kamakura Uh, yes, and it's one. It is the oldest temple that still exists in in Kamakura. So it was founded in 734. Um, it used to be much grander. See, a lot of the temples and shrines in Kamakura are very small, but at one point they were huge, like during the, the Kamakura um, period, and then they fell into disrepair and land got sold off and whatnot. So Sugimoto Data is very small now. It has the most incredible staircase that goes up and covered in moss and you can't walk on it, you get to walk around it. But just looking at it, you're like, oh wow, this place is old. And you get to the top and there's this little tiny hall, but you can go into it. 
So most of the temples, I mean, you can't go into the, the hall of worship basically, but this you can go in and there's like a little walking path to go around. You can see all there. It's the, one of the most cluttered temples I've ever been to in my life. There's stuff everywhere. But um, yeah, like all these little treasures you can see as you walk through. Um, I mentioned that they're also stop number one on um, the Kanan pilgrimage. So they also have a lot of pilgrimage goods for sale as well. So you can get like, I think you can get like your white clothing and like your walking stick there. Um, but yeah, it's, it's very well known. It, their big story is the Kanon. It's a wooden statue of Kanon. And there was a fire once and miraculously, the Kanon saved herself. So when the priests got there, they're like, oh no, the cannon's on fire. They found the cannon out under a cedar tree. So that's kind of like the claim to fame there. <laughs> yeah, I was going to ask you about the mossy steps because there's no handrail and they no. look so slippery. And I was like, surely nobody is walking up there. No, nobody's allowed <laughs> on those steps. So there's steps on either side. <laughs> it's very beautiful, but I can't imagine walking up. Oh no, I would, tears would fall, you know, killing the moss. Yeah, it's been yeah. there for time. <laughs> um, another beauty, you've got so many beautiful photos and some great video from Jomoji. Jomioji. Mm -hmm. Jomioji. So it's just down the road from Sugimoto. Okay. So it's the one with the, they've got Japanese oh, tea. Oh, with the tea house, yeah. And the English style, yeah. Okay. Uh, Komyoji. Komyoji, we yeah. I haven't talked about yet. Sure, Komioji is, um, it's about a 20-25 minute walk from the station, I think. So it, it's not crowded usually because it takes a lot longer to get there. And it's not in like, um, there's not like a bunch of other major temples in the same area. There's some smaller temples, but there's nothing really drawing people there, which is a shame. Um, you can also go inside its hall of worship. It's got these massive gates. And uh, so you go through there and then great big open area. Unfortunately, right now they're in the middle of construction, so you can't go in, but usually you can go in and it's one of those temples where like everything is shiny and gold and there's, you know, stuff hanging from the ceilings and it's a beautiful spot and it's very quiet and you can go in and just like sit and pray and there's often, often um, they have like seminars, I guess, or special events, so you often hear the monks chanting as well. So that's always really special to be able to hear that and just sit in silence and enjoy it. They also have a gravel, um, one of the great gravel gardens. It is also under construction at the moment, but um, it's also on several of the pilgrimages. I think the Kanan as well as the Jizo Sama. So it's one that, it's main, even if it's off the beaten track, it, it's an important temple in town and it's definitely worth a visit. It's absolutely gorgeous. And you can see the roof from like all over town. It's like green rectangle. And you're like, what's that? Oh, that's Komyoji. So. Beautiful. Uh, you've been to so many and covered so many of the beautiful temples. Do you have a favorite walk or a favorite temple or you like them all? It's really hard to choose. Um, Sugimoto is one of our very favorites. Um, and I love Hasedera. I mean, it's so popular and it's a little bit overwhelming during non-COVID times. There's so many people there and it's an obvious answer, but it is incredible. There's a reason why it's so popular. Um, just amazing. Uh, gosh, and then for shrines, I've loved Sasuke Nari. I love Kitakamakura. Um, a lot of people skip Kitakamakura, don't. It's incredible. Engakuji, which is right at the station, is huge and it's um it's one of the main so kamakura has like a five um temple system like a lot of places in japan like the five yama engakuji is one of them 
I think it's number two. Jomyoji is one of them as well. And so is Jochiji, which is also by Kitakamakura Station. It's uh, stunning as well. And then there's Megetsuin right by Kitakamakura. It's famous for its blue hydrangeas and um, Tokeiji, which is very near the station as well. And it is also known as the Divorce Temple. It was one of the only places where women could get a divorce in Japan in the past. Um, so it used to be um, a convent. And women would go and they would work for a few years. And when they finished their period of work, they were allowed to, they were divorced basically. So it has this incredible history and it's just beautiful. It's also one of the Kanan temples, um, very green, like just, oh, Kitakamakura, don't skip it. And between Kamakura and Kitakamakura is Kenchoji, which is the number one temple in town, the, the, the first mountain temple. And it's enormous. Like it, for Kamakura, it's huge grounds and um, stunning. When you're inside the buildings, look at the ceilings because they're all amazing. There's like dragons or like bright colors. Beautiful in the spring for Sakura season. And at the very back, there's a really neat shrine with like these weird tengu. And not like the normal tango with the long nose, but the older one with like the, the crow nose or the bird nose, like all up the, the hillside. So it's incredible. And from there, you can actually join one of the best hiking trails in town. So Kenchoji is also up there on my list. But there's just too many. There's, it's wonderful. I, I visited Kamakura so many times and still looking at your Instagram, looking at your photos, your blog, your videos. I'm, I'm like, oh, I want to go there next time or I want to, oh, I wonder where that is. So it's, it's so wonderful to have an area of Japan that has retained its traditional brand. And one of the things I love about Kamakura or Kita Kamakura as well is they must have some rules in place where they do not build big tall buildings, right? They do. I've definitely heard whisperings of that. I don't know the specifics, but yeah, you'll notice Kamakura is a very low town. So um, even the downtown area, I think the tallest building is the Tokyo building and it's maybe seven floors, like six is as high as you can go. And I think there's one above, but I don't think there's any much higher than that no and you can you can really look across the town if you're up high in a mountain you can really look across Kamakura and see the big Buddhas in the mountains or in Ofuna they have the white camel yeah. right yeah. so that would not be possible if it's a normal town mm -hmm. or city build because yep. they would have a high-rise mansion or something so right. I'm so grateful to the town planners mm -hmm. who are obviously making a rule and keeping that low build system and it, it really always reminds me that we need sustainability on all levels we need it coming from planning mm -hmm. as well as from the ground up with businesses right mm -hmm. yeah I, I love that and you chose to be right there on the coast right there right there next to the water and so many of your beautiful photos um are of the sea of the waves and the sea so it's pretty choppy and different every day huh yeah um i mean we're not known for having rough seas i mean people surf here but the waves are like this generally but every once in a while and especially in the winter the winter is definitely the best surfing season the waves do get quite big and a couple times in the summer they do too um yeah, every day, every day is different. And I grew up in the middle of Canada. Like I'm not used to the ocean. So for me, it's a little bit terrifying, but it's beautiful to look at. 
How do your kids like it being right there next to the sea? Do they go surfing with dad or? They do. Um, the older one now, she does a bit of surfing. She, I think she prefers bodyboarding. But um, yeah, they do that in the summer. The younger one has no fear. So she's definitely on surfboard, which is terrifying for me. But I think she's going to be the surfer out of the two. If one of them goes towards surfing, it's going to be her. Um, it, it makes me nervous to think about my kids as they get older and the, the stupid things I did as a kid at the river in my town. And I think, oh God, they've got an ocean. It's even worse. How am I going to get through this? But um, the kids seem to be good. <laughs> but they enjoy it. They like being able to take their friends to the beach. And Nice. Yeah. And then on your YouTube channel, the top banner, you've got uh, somebody standing up and paddling. SUV. Yeah. Do you ever do that? That's a wonderful sport. Yeah, when we first moved here, I bought myself a stand-up paddleboard. I have not done it in several years, but my husband does it, <laughs> so he enjoys it. it he's it, he also windsurfs, so he kind of looks at the ocean. He's like, "Well, I can't windsurf today, and I can't surf today. Maybe I'll take the paddleboard out." Yeah, it's a nice option. It's really mm -hmm. good, good workout. And I always we we've talked about it a few times. We have it in Hiroshima on the oh. rivers. Um, and as I get older, my balance is not as good as it was. So for me, it's kneel up and paddle or sit up and paddle. I don't stand anymore, but it's, it's still perfectly fine to do that. And it's still a really good workout. I love doing it. Yeah. I, it's, and it's nice to just kind of lie back and just float, you know, it's a, it, it's a wonderful sport. That's great. Uh, getting, let's get back to the business of running a B and B a little bit. Um, how much time management do you have to devote to keeping up with all the emails or um, as a from a business standpoint I think there's a lot of people who might be interested in running their own B&B &B type business um, yeah we use booking.com so we don't have to worry too much about emails for the most part um, we're not allowed because through our contract with booking.com, we are not allowed to offer our property for lower prices than what they find on booking.com. So it doesn't really do anything different to book directly with us. So we basically say on our website, if you want to book, go through booking.com. So I think that saves a lot of email time. Um, and booking.com, their system is very, very good. So it's just, you don't have to spend too much time doing it. Um, because we're only doing two rooms these days, um, there's not even all that much time it takes three or four hours to kind of like do a thorough clean in the mornings and then after that it's just a, a lot of the job is waiting you're always waiting so even though you can kind of do your thing you, you're still working because you're still waiting and you don't know what you can do like can I work out right now and then 10 minutes into a workout your guests show up and you're like hi and you're like dripping sweat so a lot of it is, is waiting that's a lot of your work um, but otherwise, with just two rooms, it's not that time consuming. If we had, even with three rooms though, it, it adds you know another hour basically to make sure that everything's fine. Um, so time-wise, you know, when I think about it now, I'm like, oh, you know, it doesn't take much. When we're doing it, I'm like, oh, it takes so much time. <laughs> but um, yeah, the admin doesn't really take too much. My husband does all of the big admin stuff, all of the taxes, and that's hard that is time-consuming because everything especially because our when we serve food the bills have to be very very carefully um, organized and 
put through for tax purposes and that takes a lot of time. You also have to think about um, the health department visits and the fire department visits and the police visits. So those aren't very regular, but you do have to kind of schedule them in like once a year sort of thing. And, and it kind of pops up with the police will be like, hi, we're in the neighborhood. Can we come by? And you're like, uh, okay. Um, so there's the unexpected time things as well. And how much time you're spending with guests is so dependent on the guests. Some are, are very, I'll say high maintenance, not in a bad way but you spent hours with them. And others are very, you know, they're like, nope, we know what we're doing. Hi, bye, out the door they go. So it, it's kind of hard to get like a, a general, you can't really generalize how long it's gonna take, I guess, but admin isn't a big one. The day-to-day -day admin isn't like a, a huge time sucker. And then uh, what did you find your ratio of international guests versus Japanese mm -hmm. guests? Gosh, what, what we looked at that last year, and now I've totally forgotten. I think we're we might actually be like eighty percent international guests. I wouldn't be surprised. In our first year, we used Rakuten, and when we were doing Rakuten, we had a lot of guests from Japan, and we were mostly Japanese guests, and with like very small number of foreign guests. Then we switched over to Booking.com, and then of course it just like flipped. Um, the majority of our guests are from China, so. Uh, they love Kamakura because they grew up watching a cartoon called Slam Dunk. So they come to Kamakura to go to the train station, Kamakura Kukumai, to, to get a picture by the, what, what is this thing called? The, the I can't remember neither language, the, the train thing. <laughs> so that's why we have so many guests from China. And that's, yeah. Um, but yeah, definitely about 80% maybe international. So then during coronavirus, you've had a huge drop off oh, because 80% yeah. of your customers are not coming, right? Exactly. Exactly. So especially because, especially in the winter, we rely on guests from China for the, the Chinese New Year. So right from the start when Wuhan and, and then China started having trouble with coronavirus, we very quickly started seeing oh, we're not getting any reservations because usually they, they reserve in like January and they come in late January, February. We weren't getting any of those reservations. We had a few cancellations where they said, we're really sorry, but we don't want to stress you out. So our last guests from China were January 20, 21st last year. And then our last guest who flew in to Japan from abroad would have been mid-February. We had like Russians, Europeans and Taiwanese. And after that, anybody who's come, they've been based in Japan, majority Japanese. And then how does that work with international customers? Like, are, are you using Booking.com? They're using it in Chinese. You're yeah. communicating in English. Mm -hmm. Yes. So it's uh, sometimes I get really confused because I write or I, I upload everything in English. And then Booking.com translates it into whatever languages are getting interest so they're not necessarily translating into every language when i have an amendment to make i'll be like can you change this can you please make sure it's changed on the chinese page and it because they won't necessarily change it on all the pages at once from what i understand sort of different people say different things because I, I don't know whether it's different depending on where you are but um that has always really worried me because sometimes people come they're like oh dinner's not included and we're like no. And you're like, oh my gosh, what does it say on the the page in your language? And you kind of start to panic because I can't read it. <laughs> I can't double check. And um, would, would Booking.com booking help you if it was something that was kind of on their side of the 
missing information? Um, they've, they've been very good. Very, very good. Um, so you, you can just call them up and the only problem is you don't know who you're going to talk to. You don't know where they are in the world. It's not necessarily you're going to get, um, you might not get somebody based in Japan. So they might not really understand what you're, you're, you're talking about. So, you know, they're, they're seeing your page for the first time too, basically, but they, they work really hard. So I'm, I have very few complaints when it comes to booking.com. I found them very supportive and they've also said, you know, in the case of a guest kind of making trouble for you, we, we've got your back. It, it is something that a policy you've clearly written on your page and they're not following, you know, you can kind of count on us basically. So um, it's been really helpful because, you know, if we were just in this on our own, we wouldn't have any of that support at all. And, yeah. You know, us against a guest and guests are, you know, king. So. <laughs> uh, we have a comment from Sarah Hutch joining from Facebook. She says, good evening from Texas. Thank you for joining. Um, yeah, so one of the things I wanted to ask you was about just choosing one kind of uh, platform. So you're just choosing booking.com. You're not on Airbnb and booking.com and Rakuten. Um, was that kind of strategic or just how it happened? Um, because we have so few rooms, we are terrified of double bookings. Um, there are programs that will kind of work with several booking companies to update your rooms. Our understanding is that um, it's not immediate. There is a lag. We're not so popular that that lag is going to cause a problem. But the fear that both my husband and I have is that the one in a million chance will occur and two people will book the same room at the same time or within five minutes on two different platforms and then we'll have a double booking. That is absolutely terrifying for us because then you have to find other accommodation that is either at your level or better for them. And to do that in Kamakura, we would have to go better. There's like nothing like us. So we'd have to pay way too much money, more money than we have to set somebody up in a better, um, like a nicer hotel. So that was, we did do Rakuten and booking. We did one room in each. So we, we've kind of done a few different, and we were asked to do Expedia as well. So we did Expedia for a little while. We only did two guests with them. And then I, I was just like, I can't, I can't handle the, the fear. You know, we were doing like one room with each again. And um, with booking.com, booking.com and Agoda have some form of relationship. So you can book Agoda and it goes through booking.com. So we're kind of out there on those two sites, although it's a little bit complicated and it does cause problems on occasion. But um, it's just, it, definitely it was just our feeling like, I can't deal with that. I just can't deal with the stress. Yeah, no, I understand that. And uh, one of the things I was consulting with a small guest house, this is before coronavirus, and she wasn't getting any bookings and uh, she was only on a Japanese one and she wanted international visitors and I suggested booking.com of course um, and then she had a lot more visitors of course there is you have to pay commission there are yes. charges along the way so yeah booking.com has a higher uh, commission than Rakuten does um, and it, it's kind of ouchy but the simplicity for us I mean you really have to look at your own situation like for, for us because I've I've got, you know, the kids, I've got writing, we've got a lot of things going on and I'm just not interested in spending the amount of time on marketing. 
that I would need to do if we went alone. So I'm, we just said, you know what, we'll pay the, the commission, I, even though it's kind of pricey, and we'll just deal with it, you know. But you really need to think about that. Back then is a lower commission fee. I don't remember where Expedia fell. It might have been about the same as booking. Um, but they're, they're all a little bit different and depending on the services. So with Expedia, we did payment through Expedia. So nobody had to deal with, we didn't have to deal with cash. So everything went through Expedia credit cards. So the commission was higher. With booking.com, we take care of payment. So the commission is a little bit lower. So you really need to think if we could, we would just have booking take care of payment because it would simplify life so much. And if people canceled or didn't show up, we would still get paid, whereas we don't right now. <laughs> so um, you really have to look at all the little details and say, okay, is it worth it? And for us, for the booking.com, yeah, it's worth it. Have you uh, found any way to collaborate with other local businesses or like the tourism office? Will the tourism office recommend you guys? Like how, how does that work in your local area of Kamakura? We are members of the local Ryokan Association. So we pay uh, like a yearly fee and um, they kind of offer support if we need it. And they also include us in their listing. So uh, they've got like a web page. I can't even remember what it is off the top of my head. It's been so long. And a few other places. I think our name shows up with like a link to our, our website. Um, also, the nice thing about that is it kind of it kind of gives you legitimacy, I guess, um, especially when Mimpaku was still like a really, really big gray area. A lot of people thought we were Mimpaku and we weren't. Uh, but just having that connection because they actually, you know, Kamakura, you know, Ryokan Kyokai or whatever it is. And it kind of gave us a, a little bit of legitimacy. But the big thing is when you run a place like this, the health department comes and does a check every year. If you're part of the association, the health department only comes every two years. The in-between year, it's the head of the association and somebody else that's way up there in the association. They come and check you out. They're looking for the exact same things, but the amount of pressure you feel is completely different. So that's kind of my favorite part of that particular like relationship. Um, with local businesses, I've thought about it and I've had uh, a friend kind of be like, oh, I know someone in Kamakura who would be interested, but it was right before the pandemic. And so nothing really came of it. And just thinking like how that would work and would we be able to, you know, make it work and, you know, could we do that with booking.com? You know, you have to come up with different plans and it, it's something that I would definitely consider, but maybe when the kids are bigger and, and you know i have a little more independence but it'd be a lot of fun to be able to do you know there's like all sorts of great um taiken in town so i would love to do something like that eventually yeah that'd be great well thank you so much for sharing all your insights i just have one last question even though we just squeaked over an hour um <laughs> How do you envision going forward this year? It looks like this is going to be another challenging year, not much tourism. Are you looking for ways to reach out to more domestic travelers or just kind of stay low key, do some maintenance, have some me time? <laughs> I think we'll probably go there just because I am concerned about my husband's blood pressure and because we have kids. I think we'll just go the low-key route and then probably we won't go back to serving breakfast um, just to keep that you know it's unfortunately because unfortunately because we don't get to talk to our guests as much 
which is really sad for us and for a lot of the guests who are looking for that. But, you know, safety comes first. And I think that's what we're going to be doing for the next year at least. Yeah, well, good luck. And I really nope. hope you're you're able to find a way to just kind of continue during this really difficult time for any kind of accommodation. Mm -hmm. And uh, I hope I can come visit you guys someday. Yeah. We would love that. Yeah, definitely. And Thanks. do lots of temple walks together. Yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. That would be great. I would love that. Thank you so much for joining. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you, everybody, for watching and for your great comments and questions today. Uh, we do not have a talk tomorrow. Uh, we're starting back on Monday next week with Emma Dendler. She does a YouTube channel about veganism in Japan and eco living. So please join us again next Monday. Thank you, everybody. Have a great weekend. Take care. Bye.